Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford art historian, a writer and a broadcaster, and I'm your chief investigator of images. I'm joined by a dear, dear friend as my guest today. You're doing me a huge favour today. The legendary Philip Selway. I'm allowed to say that because I'm your friend. You are a total legend. Uh, drummer of Radiohead, most famously, but, but my friend for many years and just an extraordinary person who does so much in terms of, of music and dance and uh, what are you doing at the moment, Philip? You must be busy as usual. We're involved with dance, but not actually dancing, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> that's only Let's when we have, that one up. That's only when we're at weddings. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah, but less said now about that, the better, I think. Um, but, yeah, at the moment, um, well, first off, I'm just gearing it back up for Radiohead touring later this year. But I've just been over in... Um, Minneapolis and Chicago, part of um, a retrospective uh, exhibition for Merce Cunningham, the choreographer. And it's been, it's a Walker Art Centre in Minneapolis and the MCA in Chicago. And they've just, I mean, it's brilliantly curated. They've drawn together all the artwork, all the sets, all the costumes, and um, lots of video of, of performances over the years. Um, but I was there as part of a concert series that they did to just look at the music which accompanied all the Cunningham work. And so um, doing pieces by John Cage and David Tudor, and I got to play with uh, the uh, musicians and composers who, um, you know, were very instrumental in that whole scene when it first started so people like David Behrman and Christian Wolf, George Lewis, Joan LaBarbera, many many more. Oh um, you have been hanging out with the legends since I last saw you then. <laughs> I have been. I've been the one at the back of the room going hello. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I mean that is, it's it's amazing isn't it that the that, that this is a retrospective of so many of the things we're going to be thinking about today. Yeah. Uh, the, the real cutting edge of what art music performance has been doing over the last 30, 40 mm. years. You have picked a fabulous artist and a fabulous set of paintings to look at today. Gerhard Richter's Credit's Cage... Credit's all his. Well, no, you, you came <laughs> up with the idea. Gerhard Richter's Cage Paintings. Now, why did you choose him and these paintings in particular? Well, I have an attachment to these paintings because um, a couple of years ago, I was commissioned to write a piece for the Rombert Dance Company. Now, they've just moved into... Well, they had just moved into their new headquarters on the South Bank. And they wanted to have 
a special event to mark that. Um, so they, with uh, a, a dancer from, from London, she's a dance teacher now, but she used to be um, the rehearsal director and a dancer with the uh, Merce Cunningham Dance Company. Her name's Jeannie Steele. So between Jeannie and Rombe, they managed to get permission from the Cunningham Trust mm. to reinterpret, well, recontextualize mm. some of his dance. So that would be looking at the, the scenery and the, you know, the images around that and the music. So uh, along with friends and fellow musicians, Quinta and Ardham, we wrote um, the music for, for this event, in uh, this Cunningham event in London. And the images that we used, the artwork which we drew upon, were from uh, Gerhard Richter uh, as for his cage paintings, mm. which are hanging at the Tate. And so they were using details from that for these marvellous wall hangings. Uh, the dancers' costumes were based on, on the images as well. Unfortunately, we couldn't, as musicians, have the unitards. We pushed for them, Damn, but I'm really so disappointed about that one. Um, <laughs> but these, these paintings have just become imprinted on my head now. They're just very much bound up in the whole um, event everything that it represented to Rombert, everything that it keys into with Merce Cunningham as as well and everything around that. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting. I was, read, I was you know, reading up on Richter today, but it's this idea that he is our finest living artist as mm. well, this idea that actually in terms of paint, he almost saved paint through a period where so many other mediums were coming in. Mm. It's the quality of the paintwork, the, the paint, the, the real true artistry in these things that, that makes them so prized today. And boy, are they prized. I was doing, reading some figures. His work is the biggest, yeah, the, the biggest numbers in terms of selling art of any living artist. He's sold for millions. So we we, we um, reenacted the event last November at um, at uh, the Phillips Auctioneers Rooms down on Berkeley Square. Oh. And it was in a lovely room, which has got windows either side, so everybody was able to see from outside what Sounds was going posh, on. It was incredibly posh. <laughs> I had my, my, my best RP for the whole, <laughs> whole event. And there was just, um, as you were going into the event, there was a little piece up next to the door. You know, I tried not to lean against it. And I looked close in, it was a Gerhard no. and And did you looked at the price tag and went, oh, my God. God. Whoa. So go on. What's the little one going for? That was now? going for about 175 pounds. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is mind-boggling. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's something for art detective listeners, you. We, we've talked about value in art. Uh, and he, his stuff is off the scale in terms of what it's selling for now. Yeah. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's so diverse. Uh, when you look at his back catalogue, the things he's done, the ones that really get me are the blur photorealism images yeah where he's he's perfectly reproduced a photograph to the point that you can barely tell it's not mm. a photograph and then just done that smudge that blur over the faces that gives them that weird eerie quality um but he's interesting because this of course this is his abstract work um but this this appeals to you um, why why do you like the abstract stuff 
Well, I think this keys in very much to, I mean, you know, they're called cage paintings for a reason. And he was, um, I think he did the, these pieces, I think it was kind of around 2005, 2006. Yeah, I think they were first shown at the, uh, yeah, in 2007. And so while, whilst he was painting these, he was listening to John Cage's music, you know, so he's that kind of that minimalist, experimental composer, Famous um, for the four minutes thirty three seconds, isn't he? Where it's just the sound of a room. The very, the very <laughs> one. Um, and I think with, I mean, with uh, with John Cage and like with Merce Cunningham's choreography, they keyed in very much to that idea of chance and coincidence. And I think you know, with these images, you get the sense that it's really fed into that, but at the hands of a master who can. With all of these, these, these kind of random elements, he he pulls them all together with mm. just amazing textures, and you just lose yourself in them. You it, really it, do. I mean, I think that the musical connections are going to run really deep, and we'll talk more about those mm. as well. But this is a man who's already in his mid seventies when he's painting these, and the idea that these are are almost I don't know this this whole life of experimenting with different techniques different ways of creating mm. has has led to this this I think absolutely consummate abstract art because with all the abstract I mean he's part you could talk about him as being part of German expressionism to a degree but unlike the German expressionists he didn't want that sense of the you know the connoisseurs signing so the way you think you know Pollock strip paintings you can tell it's a Pollock because you know there's always that signature element you can tell that a de Kooning is a de Kooning he wanted to sort of escape that idea of the signature the the ownership or and and so the the thing he's most famous for is the smudging that use of the squeegee to sort of pull um, the the paint across, but actually it's it's trying to explore the real raw idea of what abstract expressionism does to you, which is that it's supposed to free you as a viewer to to not be subject specific, but to see something in it that's in your own mind, in your own heart. And um, so you you get those feelings when you look at them. Then they they free you up, do they? Absolutely, and it's not an intellectual process at all. I mean, it's it's kind of a visceral process where you you. Do you, you follow your emotional thread through the paintings? Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose coming to them um, from a very musical point of view, although that kind of didn't feed into the actual writing process, but, you know, that's uh, where actually what we were writing, kind of we, we tried to... Um, try to sidestep the ways that we would normally work and but not wanting to make it too much of an intellectual process, because I think you, you shut out so many people then. But then to, to actually see, uh, see these, the, the, well, I'll backtrack a little bit. <laughs> um, with the event that we did for Rumbear, you know, we wrote the music independently. We didn't see any of the dancing. We didn't see any of the images before we all brought it together um, for a dress rehearsal. I think I saw you going on the train the day you were going to do that and you were really nervous about it all coming together. Yeah, yeah. But that's a huge thing then, to all have been in isolation, kind of coming to a concept and then not seeing it till it all comes together. My gosh. But then seeing when it comes together, but actually just seeing how... Well, I mean, it is a chance, isn't it? Bringing all those elements together. And so your brain will try and, and find some kind of order within it and find links. 
but actually seeing very strong links. And you just get these serendipitous moments in there as well, where everything is just like oh, bang wow. on. Wow. And it, just, and, and it becomes that much more powerful for it as well, I think, as well, because it's, it's not being the, the, the kind of the craft of one single person with their single vision yeah. trying to lead you down a particular route. Yeah. You know, it has this abstraction. It has this point where as 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 a viewer, as a listener, you can connect with it and then make it a very personal experience as well. I find that incredible because, again, it, there's always a sense in when you encounter an artwork, like these are hung in the Tate. Mm. They're big. They're three metres by three metres, aren't they? And they're quite a... It's a white cube environment, you know? You are there to stare and appreciate the art. But actually... A lot of what Richter does as well, and, and his contemporaries, it was about actually seeing where these things meet up. So they're not supposed to be in isolation. They're part of a conversation, a dialogue with people in other fields. And you had that experience sort of firsthand of creating by chance. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, and, and incredible. I mean, it changes the way that, you know, I, I've approached music within the context of that particular uh, event. And I think... I mean, I suppose in Radiohead, yes, we've there's always been that kind of that intersection between you. There was know, always with, a big with, visual element, wasn't big there? Big visual element, mm. absolutely. Because who was behind the OK Computer artwork? Because that's got that's a Stanley Richter, Donwood. That's, and, and, and he, that's got a definite Richter quality right. to it as well, hasn't and it? And then you know when we play live, Andy Watson, our lighting director, he comes up with these amazing sets. Um, so yes, I mean, there's. So suppose you know, I come. From from that background to a certain extent but to go into this context and just see see it working you know something that was grew out of kind of like 1950s 1960s New York where you know you had like Robert Rauschenberg and and Andy Warhol and I don't know Frank Stella and all of those artists feeding into it and all these amazing musicians and to actually you know, it's 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 um it's kind of like going to the touchstone, isn't it? And, oh. and trying to trying to respond to that, and that's that's kind of been the experience for me. But I think that's one of the things that you know that I really absolutely hugely admire about you and the band as well. But this idea that actually you are part of a, a zeitgeist, a spirit that that conjures up for me, you know, perfectly the nineties going through. We're talking about twenty years. It'll be your headline on Glastonbury. My word. Well, you can say all of that. I can't say. That. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to be to be part of a movement is bigger than just making music. It's mm. it's touching into the things that are happening around you. I think Richter's amazing because he trained in advertising and um, printmaking and and all these again a bit like Warhol these sort of disposable capitalist art move art, ways that art manifests. And a lot of what he does is is in response to that much more mass media stuff so the photo um the photo realism things that's all because he's using a lot of photography and his his advertising and, and they, that sort of work and then alongside all of that he does landscapes have you seen his like they look like uh friedrich casper david friedrich now and beautiful natural you know really gorgeous but when he's doing these i think he's trying some another attempt at getting to the the real sort of inner inner workings of the mind and the the spirit there's a really interesting exhibition in Venice where the six cage paintings were put up against four of his much brighter, redder, more sort of passionate coloured paintings. Wow, kind of Mexican it's standoff. Totally. It was the, it's <laughs> the weirdest contrast because these I think are quite calming, although 
the backdrop of this is is the conflict in the Middle East, isn't it? Did you look into? Cause no, well, no. Yeah. See, this is this is where I get an education. Oh, Come on, then. well, I am the art detective. <laughs> no. Uh, no, yeah, it's supposed to be about a conflict in Beirut, but but there's there's a sense in which there's violence and. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cityscapes going on in these. And then the green that's coming through, I think, is, again, supposed to challenge you to think about about the landscape the contrast between the city and the and the natural world but i i find them they've been described as violent so if you look at that one up there with the red um splat i think that's two that one what do you feel i mean what's your reaction to looking at that one because that's supposed to be quite a violent image but i don't know i still find well it from the starting point of red i mean that always brings out a certain reaction yeah. doesn't it yeah and you see, I find it very difficult because I have to see them in a different context now because I've seen them in the context of dance mm. and the music. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting hearing more of the kind of, of the genesis of, of all, the, all the pieces, mm. you know, where, where they come from because then, you know, you're suddenly reassessing, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 no, no. That's why they're revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they sell for however many millions. I think um, he's been described as as being kind of the consummate layerer, that you layer up the paint. And there's amazing things he does. So he adds red carnation to, um, to the paint to stop it drying up really quickly. So he puts layer upon layer. I mean, there must be a good few hundred pounds worth of oil paints invested in each canvas, but then peels them back and squeegees across them so that the layers underneath start to emerge. And it's all this process of scraping, scratching, troweling. There's a, a visceral kind of relationship with the paint. And then he stops when he thinks it's ready. So this is kind of going back to Cage and this idea of chance and accident. And I mean, that's why I find the musical connections really interesting. Because mm. would you say then that there is a sense of chance when you're creating the sorts of music that you're making as well? Do you kind I, of subscribe yes. to it? The best for, for me, the best ideas come come when you're just playing. Uh, just and you no, know, not just playing, but you know, approaching music with a very playful kind of um, 
uncritical approach, really, mindset. And so much of that is down to chance. Yeah, I mean, there'll be patterns that you follow everything. And then as you start generating ideas and you look at those, you step away from it, come back and look at those ideas and you look at how you can kind of turn them on their head. So, yes, initially, I think everything comes from that random response that you have. And again, doing the music for the event, you know, we, we tried to try to doff our caps to 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 those chance elements. Um, you know, there's one piece where we wrote where we would one of us would write a chord and then you'd fold over the paper and you you'd have you 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 would have to say you carried on doing this series of chords and then try and fashion something out of that at oh, the end. That's so cool. Um, that's so what's it called? Consequences when you yeah, do yeah that. absolutely. <laughs> it's like yeah. musical consequences. Yeah. So those things and and actually, you know, you find that it just takes you off somewhere that you would never have gone before. I love that. And it can be quite pleasing. Some of it can be quite awful. <laughs> but some of it can be really, really I don't know. I don't know if it's just tapping into something, you know, much more subconscious in you. Or, um... Also the collective conscious as well, the idea that you're working with people. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I've always heard in, in, in Radiohead music. Like when you get in the studio, there's an, I suppose you're bouncing things off each other to let together collectively. Yeah, that's the theory. That's the theory. <laughs> bouncing literal things off each other. <laughs> No, but there's definitely a sense in which, you know, you can ice. I think this is why I like Richter because he he collaborates, he talks, he communicates with people and and his work is part of a conversation with other people. So the fact that these are called cage paintings, that's in direct reference yeah. to Cage, even though he hadn't met him. Again, he he's sort of starting a dialogue and saying, you know, what what, what are you going to come back with almost? And um, I think that Cage is because Cage is really influential in so many ways one of the yes. finest artists and workers but has he influenced your music because obviously you do a lot your rhythm I suppose your mind plays on rhythms primarily does it or how does the mind of a oddly, drummer work <laughs> oddly enough you know rhythms come to me a little later on I'm I think I'm much more guided by melody and harmony initially well that's I'm not surprised listening yeah. to your solo work I love the beautiful melodies you write. You're oh, amazing. stop it. Stop it. <gasps> you are amazing, darling. But no, so that really that intrigues me. I just presumed you'd be programmed to sort of see patterns and rhythms everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that, um, I suppose maybe, maybe that's just because, of, you know, those things that you do up close all the time, you kind of take for granted a bit, mm. really. And I loved the whole approach, actually, Again, coming back to to writing the piece for the Rombear event, um, just being, you know, you don't get too many directions, but one of the chief ones is because this, you know, this dance, uh, these, uh, these, this choreography is all very self-contained. You know, the dance has got their internal counts going on, but you don't want any strong rhythms. You don't want anything, anything that's kind of strongly melodic, which will cut across and and actually distract them from from the count and so you you know you start thinking um i do grooves I do melodies okay <laughs> i do grooves what are you gonna do with me <laughs> and so to actually part the then... grooves Philip. part the grooves <laughs> absolutely and um so so to to actually kind of turn that on its head that was that was a very interesting process but then to see the patterns that that emerge from that as well 
and the patterns come from from how everything talks to each other, how how the images and uh, and, and the choreography and the music talk to each other, mm. and and it kind of doesn't exist without the audience at all. Oh, interpreting. I mean, the layers in... here where we're going with the art, because again, it's the interpretation of the viewer that's so. Mm. The audience bring it to life and make make that collaboration work. And and I think, I mean, there's this it's the performance element of making Richter's paintings as well as well that really fascinate me. The fact that there is this movement. It's all about linear you know horizontals verticals moving across the canvas shifting it about and having that accidental moment where you just stand back going yeah that's done that's it's not perfect it's not finished it's not conclusive but it's that's it done now in its format that's how it's going to stay and I think that's that yeah, yeah. That sort of strikes me that you were having a similar <laughs> Yes, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I mean, that's kind of what you do as a child, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And it kind of so you just think, is is that mastery? It's just you know, it's it's retaining that in yourself. Um, but you know, learning the techniques and just learning the ability to know when it's done, done. when yeah. and. That's a lifetime's work getting to that point. But perfectionism getting in the way of that as well. I think that, I mean he talks about himself being a surrealist, and I can I can see that because if if he wants to be a perfectionist, he can do it. He's so highly trained. I mean, all the time that he spent in Germany training up, it's all about this absolutely minute skill. So when he used to do his, his photorealism, he'd actually take photos and then project them on the canvas and then absolutely perfectly execute them so it looked right. like a photograph. And that's how good he could be when he wanted to be. I think a lot of people look at abstract artists and go, mm, they just do it like that because they can't paint properly. But they all could. They all, all can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they mess around with it and then they actually remove the subject matter and the... And then they put the viewer into the process, which I think is much braver. Uh, but this, again, musically, you you just see this as well with the, the the you know the composers who were working around the composers that I was working with just the other week. You know, they are these e immense musicians, uh, and then you will hear them apply that to something that actually sounds very random. <laughs> and initially, you know, I, I think you. you to, there's a part of you that thinks this could be unlistenable to some ears, <laughs> but then you actually realise the, the craft behind it, and and you you recognise the patterns in there, and you recognise the kind of the emotional shifts that happen as well, and you just think, oh, that's you know you've learned it all, and then you've chosen to to completely ignore that, and because of that richness of your kind of your technique, your development. It just makes these abstract pieces just so, so powerful. I just, I love this conversation because it is absolutely at a parallel, isn't it? I mean, I just find it so similar. And and I think that Cage is this wonderful kind of meeting point, actually, because he was a visual artist too. But, I mean, the, the things that he was trying to do with sound are, I mean, I find them quite difficult to know how to take. As someone who's not a musicologist, I mean, he was. He was, a, he was incredibly... Um, academic in his understanding of music but the idea of just getting a group of people in a room and putting the recorder on and playing nothing for four minutes 33 seconds I think that's so brave because it's like tearing them off the it's tearing composers off the pedestal and creating something new in that space um has he influenced you would you say Cage I've become much more aware of his you know his approach his work over the past um well, I suppose the first thing that we that I was involved with with Cunningham mm. Company was we did a, a piece called Split Sides, 
back in 2006 with Sega Ross as well. Oh, cool. That was for Merce Cunningham's 80th birthday. And you hang so, out with all the stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, yeah, go on. And that was, that, as I say, that was the first, my first real engagement with that whole approach, you know, and what they took from the I Ching and all of that, uh, a kind of a philosophical premises behind everything. And uh, I don't know, if it, it was talking about kind of my solo work with the drumming I bring to Radiohead, you, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, he's been listening to Joe Cage, hasn't he? <laughs> um, but I, I suppose it's all in there. It all filters through in some ways. Does, and um, well, I, see, and I think Cage is quite, I can hear Cage right the way through your stuff. Actually. Yeah, I'm probably more in kind of, some of the more angular parts of radio heard you might might hear it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> certain amount of accident and chance going on in some of those sessions and things. But I do. I mean, I just think this is interesting. This is something we're trying to do with with Art Detective as well. Is is get this idea that actually, where do you draw the line between an artwork and a piece of music and a piece of performance? And and actually broader than that, where do you draw the line between? Like, like we were talking to Marcus De Soto, the mathematician, the mathematics. We talked about Pollock and the drip. Actually, with uh, with Richter, I think you've got something even more um, beautiful, and there is a sense in which abstract expressionists wanted it to be the hand of the artist through the brush that was somehow expressing a unique emotion to them, but something that could be more widely interpreted and understood. And Richter even gets rid of the brush. He brings in this squeegee, literally like a window cleaner's squeegee. And it's that process that is sort of trying to get the artist out of the equation completely and make it experiential, make it something that that, that, that prizes us as viewers in relation to it. And I think that the fact he chose to pair up with Cage, they're very different people. Um, the idea that these are in some way referencing Cage that it's not about Cage, it's not about Beirut, and it's not about the Middle East, it's not about war, but all of those things are sort of part of the context. Yeah. And then we do the work on top of that. Absolutely. And do you think there, there's, a, there's a side of it as well, which makes it, uh, it levels of playing field to a certain extent. You go along and see musicians, you know, dropping a pile of knives on the floor, and you think, oh, I could do that. I could do that. I could Absolutely. Do that. Uh, or, you know, working with a squeegee on a canvas. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, with with the squeegee and with the, the knives on the floor, there's a lot of a lot of musical decisions which have have and experience which have have led to that. But there's something that kind of primal nature of it. You know, I think that's everybody can tap into that 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 really powerful expression within themselves. And I think that's where. You know, where, where, where you see, I mean, it's always hugely impressive going to see like a concert pianist or or like one of the best orchestras around. We just think, oh, I'd never achieve that. They, they, they've, they've just had all of that, um, all those years. You can see the 10,000 hours That's just plus. like 10,000 hours, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but you feel quite excluded from that as well. You know, you don't feel that you can you can achieve that, um, and not saying that necessarily I could achieve these pieces, but there is something that frees you up, looking at how they worked and how what they rejected in their training to to get to into that point. And I think that's 
I think that just really opens up the whole artistic process, the whole musical process. Absolutely, yeah. I think I, you couldn't have put it better. It's it's totally that experience that, um, again, a lot of, of people want to see the masterworks. They want to see the most minute brushstroke that they simply in a million years couldn't do. And, and what I think is so special about Richter is that he could and he chose not to. And there's a democratising in that. There's a there's a sense of bringing people into the discussion, which I find really exciting. And I think he will be remembered. I think that he will be one of our generation's big names, big artists that going forward, he, he will be the canonical one. Um, and that's why people spend the millions that they do. <laughs> so don't go knocking them over next time you're at the, <laughs> at the auction house. Philip, we have had such an amazing discussion. I love talking to you anyway. But having a chance to sit and talk for half an hour about art and music is just the best pleasure ever. It's been, been a complete pleasure for me too. So thank you, Nina. Oh Well, I hope you've enjoyed it too, Art Detective listeners. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to the podcast, which is historyhit.com slash artdetective. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Yanina Ramirez. And Philip, you are too, aren't you? Yes, as I don't have a doctor in front of no. my name, but it's just plain old Philip Selway. Find him on Twitter. Oh, you are an absolute star. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nina. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.